You haven't watched She-Hulk? No, not yet. Again, (laughs) again, it's episode... Sunday Scaries. Hey. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sunday Scaries. It's a podcast about horror movies where each week we take a deep dive into a specific film and uh, try to find connections between that film and other movies within the genre. Uh, In this series, we're talking about slashers, and this week we're spending some time with one of the hottest power couples in In the last few years. Yes. And we're going to talk about their first collaborative film. Which is... (sighs) Shh. Ooh, okay. (laughs) That's one of the better... That's one of the better uh, that was the better one. intros Hell for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, I also think this is a good this is the perfect opportunity so we kind of, I don't know if I'll, if I'll put it in the intro but uh, we both just got back from being out of town. This is the first time we've gotten to record since uh, getting back from Milwaukee yeah uh, to celebrate your uh, the My the oncoming of your wedding. Yes, the the quintessential grooms boys party. Oh yeah. Um, we had a great time. If you haven't been to Milwaukee, go there. And message our Instagram account, and I'll tell you where to go. Yeah. <laughs> because we hit all the hot spots, Yeah, for sure. We spent a lot of fun time just, like, hanging out by the lake, drinking beers. And mm-hmm. uh, speaking of beers, our friend Bree gave us yes. the coolest gift ever. Uh, yes, from she did. Okay, so. It's a collaboration, so there's, like, eight. Yeah, there's, there's like, like, hella breweries yeah, on there. Yeah, there's eight-something breweries <laughs> on here. But Fair state, for sure. Yeah, Black Stack Brewing is who it was. Uh, who who gets the uh, the credit here mm-hmm. uh, for brewing our own Sunday scare? Okay, so they didn't brew it for us. I'm making it sound but like they this did. Is like, but they no, they did. did. All right, I'm, yeah. I'm saying that they did. Uh, <laughs> we're one of the, we're going to put ourselves on the list of collaborators here. But the Sunday Scaries uh, Double Dry Hopped IPA is this a Hazy Boy too? Yes. I forgot. Yeah. So this yeah. is like an imper- This is like a double hazy. I'm not going to lie. I drank one of the ones that she gave us already nice so <laughs> i just brought i brought the remaining ones back over here here hold on nice there we go there it is yeah, yeah. i thought we needed to do this on the podcast to, yeah. to give it a try so i, sure. I want to try it and i want to give my own uh yeah so that's brie friend of the pod um she came and hung out at the bachelor party as well um brought us this beer that she found she's a, a regional sales rep for uh great lakes great lakes brewing company and uh, she saw a Sunday Scaries beer and bought it for us. So, thank you, Bree. Thanks, Bree. That's so nice. Yeah. Seriously, here, here's yours. Okay. So, <laughs> it is definitely hazy. Yeah. Yeah. Super citrusy, very pineapple-y. I know because, like I said, I drank some of them already. Oh yeah, lots of pineapple. Yeah, but mm. not—it's not very green either. It's very no. drinkable. Yeah, um, yeah, that was a problem with a couple of the brews we went to. We saw a lot of uh, very sedimentary, hazy mm-hmm. boys. Yeah, lots of hop sediment laying around. It's uh, super drinkable. Shouts out to Blackstock. Shouts out to Fair State and however all the other breweries that had a hand in this. It's yeah. great. Mm, that's tasty. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a as a as as a white dad would say, that's a dangerous one right there. <laughs> That's because it's nine point nine. Yeah, it's yeah, that's a double. It's a triple IPA. Jesus Christ. 
So this half a can will that's fine with that'll me. do us for the rest of the episode. Yep. Yeah. We'll get we'll start getting sloppy here. Hey, we're talking about hush. Uh, we are talking about hush. Yeah, I thought this, I can't wait to put this in the list of slashers. So yeah, 2016. This is uh, Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel's first collaborative film, mm-hmm. uh, but not their first film together. Um, so we're talking about Mike Flanagan. Uh, like I said, one of the hottest directors uh, in horror of the last six so years. Hot right now. So hot yeah. right now. Uh, Netflix's golden boy, if you will, mm-hmm. man. He's made some bangers. Um, so Mike Flanagan, famous. Uh, he's kicked off his career uh, doing a, the Oculus sequel, or Oculus. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually on the set of that is where uh, him and Kate Siegel met. Um, he then goes on to uh, he goes on to direct this movie, or before this movie, he directs uh, Before I Wake, um, followed by uh, this movie Hush, and then he goes on to direct um, Ouija, the sequel, uh, Origin of Evil, Mm-hmm. Um, he directs Dr. Sleep, uh, the sequel to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Uh, he directs several TV series for yeah. Netflix. All the Hauntings, Midnight Haunting Mass. Of, Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor, mm-hmm. Midnight Mass. Uh, and he has a new series that's going to be out this year, uh, The Fall of the House of Usher, a mm-hmm. uh, Edgar Allan Poe-based Netflix original series. Um, the dude is cool, man. Like mm-hmm. uh, In the process of like getting ready for this, watching his interviews uh, and interviews with him and Kate Siegel, like... He's just a he's a cool guy that like his creative and just seems to love what he fucking does. Um, yeah, and the collaboration between him and Kate is like the cutest thing that I've ever seen. Did you watch? I put it in uh, the notes document for the show. Uh, there's a YouTube video. Yeah, it's like a 20 or 20, 20, 30 minute long interview they do on like a TV station or something or mm-hmm. some radio station. Uh, and it's yeah, it's a 2016 interview. So they're just like they got married in 2016 right before the release of this movie um, in February of 2016. Uh, and yeah, they're just chemistry, the way they play off each other. Like you can tell they're just both, they're both fucking nerds and they yeah. just found each other. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's, it's adorable. So cute. Yeah. Uh, so hush, uh, the premise of this movie is a deaf and mute writer who retreated into the woods to live a solitary life must fight for her life in silence. Uh, when a masked killer appears at her window. Mm-hmm. Um, so this stars Kate Siegel, uh, Mike Flanagan's wife as Maddie, the, uh, deaf mute writer, yep. um, features, JGJ, John JG. Gallagher Jr. Yes, as the man. The man, the killer. All the, the credits just say the man. Yeah, he's the man. Yeah. He's the man in he's this movie. He's the yeah. man. Uh, we have Michael Trucco in there as John, uh, the boyfriend of uh, Sarah, who's played by Samantha Sloyan. Um, mm-hmm. And then we have Emma Gray, who's making a brief cameo as Max, uh, who is Maddie's sister. Mm-hmm. Um, very, And that's it. Very, very tiny. That's <laughs> literally it. <laughs> Which is awesome. It's kind of like... Uh, so more background on this movie uh we talked about how this falls in between uh mike flanagan making uh before i wake uh and then going on to make um ouija origin of evil mm-hmm. uh, mike flanagan himself kind of talks about how this sort of occurs at somewhat of a lull uh in his opinion in his career um he feels like he had a bit a lot a bit of upward trajectory following um his uh his initial release uh, absentia which is kind of like basically a student film it's you know mm-hmm. a bunch of like handheld cameras and him just barely stringing together a movie with his buddies um very evil dead style sam raimi style he gets enough uh credibility to go on and make oculus um for blumhouse and then after oculus uh gets a little bit more of a budget and kind of maybe overreaches a little with a movie before i wake have you seen mm. that one before have you seen I, either of those? I have I, not yeah oculus i've seen i haven't seen before i wake i don't yeah, think yeah. i have um, I was watching some trailers and some clips of it as he was talking about it in an interview, and it looked familiar, but it, I think it's just because of um, that young actor. Shoot, what is his name? 
Um, he's in a lot of stuff now. I think he was in uh, The Conjuring 3, maybe. I can't remember. It's a little kid. Uh, he, he's, he's become like a horror, like little kid actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but Before I Wake is somewhat of a flop. Uh, I think, like I said, because Mike Flanagan uh, feels like he overreaches and he himself says that he kind of forgets what he learned on the set of Absentia, which is to uh, conceal, don't feel, don't, you know, don't show as much. You get away with a lot more as a horror director um, by keeping things off screen and in the dark. And you're also able to do a lot more and uh, create a lot more of an yeah. ominous um, Or in the quiet, mm-hmm. as we see in this. Yeah, it's like horror is like jazz. It's about what you don't, the notes you yeah, don't play. The yeah. sounds you don't make. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the gore that you don't show. Yeah. Uh, the monsters you don't see, um, so I think that he sees that as a as a failure with Before I Wake. Um, so in this sort of what he thinks of as a lull in his his career, he, him and uh, Kate Siegel uh, have have begun dating. Mm-hmm. Um, they're out on a dinner date, and they they conceive of the premise of Hush, this idea of a of a writer isolated in the woods who is is also uh, deaf and can't hear anything. Yeah, um, it's The Shining, but basically. with. A deaf person. Yeah, it's well, actually not really, but it, you know, <laughs> yeah, the the jet that very, it, I mean, it's a somewhat played out like isolation, mm-hmm. isolation home invasion type of combo there, um, but with an, another little element thrown in there where we have a you know somewhat of a disability, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and I will say like, I wanted to look into several other films release dates Mm -hmm. because i know there was a lot of this going on at that time yeah so 2016 this came out Mm -hmm. which is pre bird box Mm -hmm. it's pre quiet place right it's you know i think i would like to think that it may have influenced like oh we can do these other like sound speech sight influenced type of horror movies yeah and also featuring characters that are members of those you know communities that, yeah. that have those those uh you know character features mm-hmm. um interestingly yeah the uh some, some of the reviews uh, there's some some articles some critical articles written about this that kind of talk about uh this trope of the uh the, the disabled character and as that being a a plot point for um for the story uh one of the first examples that's pointed to is a uh, 1967 film uh called wait for the night or Until mm-hmm. the Night? Let's see. Hold on. I forget the name of it here. Is it Wait for the Night? Um, it stars Audrey Hepburn, where essentially it's a similar situation where Audrey Hepburn plays a, uh, a blind character mm-hmm. um, whose house is uh, is invaded um, by this uh, this troop of robbers who are trying to uh, locate a lost package of heroin, essentially. Um, it's actually free. on a, It's on HBO. You can watch it. Um, let me make sure that is the right name of the title. Wait Until Dark, sorry. Hmm. Um, Wait Until Dark is a 1967 movie that, um, yeah, it kind of, that that is sort of the, up until this point, or, or you know, the history of, of storytelling uh, around characters that um, are disabled, you know, see, treating them as sort of like the damsel in distress, uh, mm-hmm. this trope of them being subject, you know, elevating the stakes of the story. Because, because of have, their disability per mm-hmm. se yeah yeah and that this as a as a perceived weakness and character flaw um mm-hmm. which is really interesting like we can i think we're going to get into uh I, I set aside some stuff to kind of talk about the conversation around the you know the idea of having a character like that in this movie um and then also having a hearing actor uh, you know uh, playing that character yeah because um, i came up like i was watching and corny was just happened to be in the room yeah you know and there was a couple times where because obviously kate learned some asl for this like oh, yeah. she she plays it off very well mm-hmm. um and Courtney asked several times, she's like, is she, like, hearing impaired? I'm like, no. 
but you could i mean she does play it off well oh yeah i think in this day and age like if this movie came out today mm-hmm. and didn't use a, he- a hearing impaired actor you'd get a lot of backlash oh yeah because we've learned like mm-hmm. there is actors that are deaf oh, you yeah. use them yeah you know yeah and definitely and like in especially in the reception of this movie uh mike flanagan and kate siegel are very um, open about the fact you know how much they were they were educated you know in the reception of this movie and mm-hmm. they themselves have said you know if, if we were to make this movie now yes obviously we would seek out and pursue you know a hearing impaired um, actor to play this role yeah um, there is a whole lot of that yeah it's funny yeah because actually courtney texted me that she watched it this movie watched this movie and i was like mm-hmm. really, you, you watched some of that because I, I feel like this is one of the scarier movies for uh-huh. i don't know it's a yeah. It's a thrilling movie because it operates on some of the most like basic fears that we mm-hmm. have, right? This, uh, which t- are very recurring in mm-hmm. in these slasher movies. Exactly, like, it's, it's home invasion, it's masked man. Like there's no, there's no purpose, right? Mm-hmm. We or we're never given a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, which, especially as a woman, mm-hmm. as we've talked about, like in Strangers, big Strangers vibes here. Oh yeah. Um, except he becomes less stranger because the masks, the mask comes off. Exactly. Yeah, and it's a she. Yeah, no, she texted me because she was like, "Yeah, so I, I caught some of that movie that Tyler was watching. And I went in my backyard, and your neighbor was like practicing with a crossbow on a target." Oh yeah, dude, back- he got a fucking. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "We're gonna fucking die out here, man." Is it, it? But isn't it so funny how it's like that compared to like have somebody having like a firearm? You're like, wait, you can't have a crossbow. That's, yeah, that's a little bit too far. No, like, and th- <laughs> when we say our backyard, it's like a 20 by 20 square of grass. Yeah. You have chain link fences. Yeah. Like it's yeah. And it, he's just <laughs> shooting a crossbow like right across the driveway. Uh, <laughs> I was like, that cracked me up so much. I was like, this is the absolute she, worst thing. Yeah. She literally sent a picture of like the archery target in the backyard. And I was like, this is too That's much right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like uh, kind of go back to uh, the conception of this film. Uh, Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel basically conceive of the plot of the entire movie at their home in Glendale. Um, mm-hmm. The couple would imagine, you know, scenarios that would occur while they were at home, making up these like various sequences of events uh, of intruders and murderers. Um, and it's funny because a problem actually arose because of the unique architecture and like geography of their mm-hmm. home in Glendale. Because where... they start, yeah, they start acting out this entire movie mm-hmm. basically at their own home mm-hmm. when they're just chilling at the house together mm-hmm. which what a cute little activity <laughs> my love language my like, love language is quality time uh, and yeah. we pretend we're gonna murder each other yeah this is a fun <laughs> thing to do with your partner is be like what if somebody broke in what if and what if it was dead? me yeah and you can't hear shit yeah yeah <laughs> It was like, let's yeah, let's just lay awake. That's going to be our date night tonight. Shit. Yeah, um, but yeah, I guess their house in Glendale had such a unique geography to it that when they would try to go like set, you know, uh, location scouting and stuff, they were looking for houses that would sort of match the plot of that they had come up with, and they had a lot of trouble finding a house yeah. that had the precise architecture to facil- facilitate mm-hmm. all the different, you know, to the point of they had to rewrite some of the scenes mm-hmm. because like what they had envisioned after practicing this in their own home would not work. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I I do think like whatever. I think it's in Alabama where they ended up finding yeah, this Bear home. Yeah, Hope, Alabama yeah. Is, is where they ended up filming, ultimately. And that home, you know, after watching the movie, I'm like, that's a perfect home. Oh, yeah. That is a, it's a great, architecturally, geograph- geographically, um, it provides a lot of access points for very... Ooh, ooh spicy, Mike. <laughs> um, for some very spooky scenes yeah you know it's got like the porch it's got the roof there's hella windows everywhere doors all over the the place space and stuff yeah Yeah. all the woods around it and everything Mm -hmm. um and i think too it's like to the point that like 
the, the fact that this movie structurally too is essentially one continuous sequence right mm -hmm. this is i think that poses a huge challenge when you're trying to make a story maintain like a compelling atmosphere right like it can mm. get very boring yeah. very quickly in a single in a, setting exactly and trying to like, make it dynamic and interesting enough mm -hmm. that like you yeah. know you the stakes remain high and you remain interested throughout the whole movie mm -hmm. which um, that I, yeah it takes a lot of skill to do that oh, yeah you know and i've seen plenty of movies that that fall short on that and some that do it really well mm -hmm. um you know i think of like shit like phone booth mm. or open water yeah you know where you're, you have to sure. build suspense in a single setting, mm -hmm. and that's all you're given. Yeah, like and maintain the the attention of the audience, like through yeah. the use of. I mean, I, even like you know, most recently we uh, we watched Bodies, 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 mm -hmm. and I think that's another one that did it pretty well. Where it's like that. I think they had a little bit more freedom there because that house in that movie was it's huge. fucking huge. Uh, yeah. In this one, it's like trying to create you know distinct enough scenes and sequences that the on t the audience's attention maintains. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's you kind of take that for granted when you watch yeah. it because it's and like you, there is only like several recurring rooms that get shown. Mm -hmm. Like you have the kitchen, you have mm -hmm. the living room, you have the loft. And then you have like the crawl space and the roof. Yeah. And that's Yeah. That's Sorry. the majority of it. Yeah. No, it's yeah, all good. Stuff. I know uh, how my cables suck. Yeah. I've gone through plenty of them. <laughs> um Yeah, it's tough mm -hmm. given like those um architectural constraints mm -hmm. but i think they build the, the suspense very well um especially some of the cin cinematography oh yeah when you're given kate siegel's point of view oh yeah and the sound design for that yeah, yeah i think well as we go through the plot here in a second i definitely want to get to that um <laughs> but yeah i think and like like we were saying before i think what makes this so interesting uh like i said in relation to the other movies we've talked about as far as being you know slashers that are based on true crime stories is that this one is distinct in the fact that it's it's not based on any one particular incident or a true crime you know event or, or anything it's just a particularly ubiquitous fear that you might mm -hmm. even call you know it's this primordial fear um the tension and the terror the movie operate on this you know the basic terror that we all feel on a day-to-day -day basis you know that like itching feeling in the back of your neck when you're facing away from a window and you imagine a face in that window yeah um, or you're walking to your dark bathroom yeah. in the middle of the night yeah yeah um <laughs> and it's that's that's kind of like what the premise of this movie and i think it's great and it's elevated by the fact that you know the character is also uh hearing impaired mm -hmm. um which is an extra you know element of it that uh that that is great um yeah to your point like i said uh yeah courtney was texting me she was talking about she actually pointed out first she was like was there any backlash to you know the fact that it was kate siegel a, you know a hearing actor playing this mm -hmm. um and surprisingly i don't know so in 2016 um it seems like the, the the you know there is the legitimate backlash of hey you know there are deaf actors we should you know use those actors um and mm -hmm. which is which is fair i think they kind of get away with it in that criticism in the sense that they were so limited budget wise, uh, which I think is a yeah. big element. Because I it. think it like their estimated budget was like a million or it's under, like barely a million dollars yeah. essentially. So this movie, and it, it really like, is just a passion project between mm -hmm. this couple. Exactly. So like, it makes sense to cast Kate, mm -hmm. who is a great actress, mm -hmm. when you only have four or five actors in the whole film. Exactly, um, um, and. So it's interesting because Kate actually conceives, apparently Kate conceived of the character completely. Um, she's the one who imagined, you know, the idea of Maddie, you know, being this writer uh, who is hearing impaired. Um, and uh, yeah, she's the one who also sort of identifies this trope of her uh, being, 
you know, kind of departing from the idea of a, of a disabled uh, woman being like the damsel in distress, kind of like we said in Wait Until Dark, starring Audrey Hepburn, where in Wait Until Dark, this movie from the 60s, Audrey Hepburn is, is perpetually in distress through that movie and is really doesn't have much agency um, mm-hmm. for herself until other characters step in. Um, and I think it's notable in this movie that, you know, even when the plot has opportunities to provide heroes who could come in and save her, like Michael Truco's character, John, comes in and it's yeah. like, he doesn't save her, he ends up dying mm-hmm. himself anyway, and Sarah, similarly, the other people who are actually hearing characters um kate siegel's character saves herself in the end yeah uh, and she uses um the skills that she gains despite having this disability mm-hmm. you know because your other senses are heightened right or you mm-hmm. you learn how to exist in a world with this disability mm-hmm. um and she uses those to her advantage mm-hmm. and you know i think that there's it's cool that they pointed that out. Yeah, but, that you know. and the combined, like, I think, one of, you know, one of the more, I think, um, indulgent readings, uh, as far as critics go, too, is the idea of uh, JGJ's, I'm going to abbreviate this the rest of the episode, John Gallagher Jr.'s yeah, character. Yeah, we don't have to say that. Yeah, the uh, man. JGJ's character, uh, the man, um, basically operating on this sort of, like, ableism and stuff, too, seeing her mm-hmm. as, like, a less than victim, like, all, yeah. not only because she's a woman, because she's hearing a pair that, yeah, like... Yeah, he's, like, infatuated with her deafness yeah it, and uses like you can see that he's like i'm gonna play with this yeah it's an object i'm gonna play with this woman him. because mm-hmm. she is disabled mm-hmm. uh which doesn't really work out for him nope it, that's <laughs> like it's that uh yeah that uh that underestimation of her and like i guess yeah the ableism of it like which leads to his demise yeah um which i think is really interesting yeah it's i think it's a good i think it's a good take on this type of character and doesn't you know fall prey to kind of like the tropes that it could Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting about that is like, so we talked, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, they, they sought out a lot of consultation for this, uh, you know, talking to, uh, deaf consultants and writers, uh, and then also having, uh, trainers assisting Kate Siegel with her ASL, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, how to portray a character, uh, and also rewrite a character who is deaf. Uh, the original idea of the character was that she would have been born deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, and the consultants decide they ch- decided to change that, um, to kind of, maybe facilitate more of having Kate Siegel play the character um, as somebody who, who was a latent deaf person who became yeah. deaf at a certain point. So like her age character, 13 or something. Yeah, her character had uh, bacterial meningitis. meningitis. Right, and then uh, became deaf and mute uh, due mm-hmm. to the, the consequences of... Yeah, uh, and it, so in reading mm-hmm. in reading about this, when I read like a plot synopsis, it, it claims that, you know, she had the meningitis, she was, she was deaf after that, and then had... An attempted, she had like temporary vocal cord paralysis. Yeah, I read that. That then was there was like a failed surgery, so now it's permanent. And I don't think that gets brought up. It's not in the movie. Yeah, but if you read somewhere else, if you read some synopses, it they claim that. Yeah. To be fair, maybe it's in the script or something, or in some log line of the script that Mm -hmm. like exists. But I I haven't read the script. Yeah, maybe Michael Kate mentioned it at some point, but it's not brought up in the movie. But. Um, but to that point, that was something that was uh, that was added to the character to sort of better facilitate, you know, her her being a hearing person portraying this character and mm-hmm. maybe having a little bit more of an endpoint because portraying somebody who has been deaf from birth would have been incredibly difficult, I think, for a hearing actor. Yeah, and, and it well, and it opens up the whole possibility of her lip reading, which yeah. is really important right. to certain aspects mm-hmm. of the plot. Um, you know, a born deaf person that's mm-hmm. extremely 
that's not a thing that they can easily do. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, thematically, it also kind of provides this inroad for this also this you know this theme of isolation, right? Uh, Kate Siegel is quoted as saying, you know, what I could write about was being isolated, you know, or having your whole world change based on one experience, uh, she says. And so she wasn't necessarily trying to play, you know, the character to mimic the deaf experience, but also, you know, focusing on telling the story um, of a woman who is isolating herself by choice mm-hmm. um, to through um, through. Because of her writer's block, yeah, right. Um, so, and the to kind of go to, to talk about some of the criticisms mechanically of this too. Um, something that uh, there was, there's this um, uh, this hearing impaired blogger uh, by the name of uh, Rebecca Ann Whit- uh, Whitley, mm-hmm. uh, who talks about uh, there's some basically uh, Kate Siegel's performance is. is pretty good in the sense that you know people who are not hearing impaired it, it may be too subtle to really catch it um, but essentially the the sign language that she uses uh, apparently fluctuates between American sign language and what is called uh, PSE which is like a pigeon sign English mm-hmm. um, so which is sort of a uh, I guess it's almost like a dialectical more of like an English like up like British English sign okay. language thing so there's like these slight dialectical differences mm-hmm. um, and then also her um, so when you're signing you know exaggerating your your lip movements as you're sounding out words for the for the sake of your uh person that you're, you're speaking with in sign language um she kind of not un- inconsistently you know either doesn't like do it at all or over accentuates varying it. levels of right there's actually an interesting uh some interesting comments from uh so millicent simmons um the mm-hmm. deaf actress who uh is in a quiet place uh she's kind of one of these standout roles as far as like representation of actually hearing impaired actors in, in yeah. Hollywood goes. Yeah, which um, is just, that's just a couple of years after this. Exactly, right. And she talks about how she and some of her deaf friends went to go uh, see this movie and were kind of, uh, it, it was almost comical to them to the point of like, you know, it being not really a believable performance mm-hmm. because they were they, they were catching all of those subtleties of her, her performance not really being, you know, yeah. authentic essentially, um, which makes sense. It's just like, you know, if you go, you know, if you're, if you're somebody from a particular, um, you know, uh, like country or, you know, regional background or ethnic background and you see you see somebody not of that community trying to portray it on screen it, mm-hmm. it appears comical um yeah and to the point that it can be offensive. no and we see that like mm-hmm. you know now i'm i guess you could say a medical professional yeah. <laughs> and then i see shit and i'm yeah. like what the fuck who did they yeah. consult on this you know <laughs> not that that's the same type of community mm-hmm. as like a hearing impaired person but you know it's it happens with everybody like you're mm-hmm. not the target unless you're the specific target audience for a type of media there's going to be people that have that experience mm-hmm. with it. And uh, to that point, I think it's interesting though, that like, yeah, like for me, I, it was, it was stuff that was subtle enough that I, I wouldn't have caught it. I, I actually, you know, on the second or third rewatch, you know, getting ready for this, I was looking for those kinds of things, trying to see if, you know, there was some goof ups or some other stuff that you'd be like, mm-hmm. well, I don't know. Uh, and yeah. it's really, I don't know, there, there's some stuff that I was trying to be nitpicky about, but I don't, I can't say as a, as a you know, I'm not, I'm not hearing impaired to the point that she like she is in the, in the to film. the point yeah just uh, to where we have to wear earplugs that yeah. shows that <laughs> we're getting old we're getting old man um the only other one that i saw uh, in the uh the article by uh, rebecca ann was the uh the fact that she can um lip read jgj's lip lips he's a stranger mm-hmm. for one thing and like from 20 feet away being able to like see and like tell what he's saying yeah and they've never spoken before yeah so she doesn't know his like his dialect or mm-hmm. you know his lip movements yeah 
Um, but all that being said, so that's some background for this. I think we can maybe talk about the plot here for a mm-hmm. second. Um, so th- and about the plot structure too. Uh, one thing that I kind of found difficult, uh, that's, it's not the fault of the movie because I think it actually definitely works in the movie's favor and speaks to how good of a filmmaker Mike Flanagan is, um, is like we said, the fact that this essentially takes place in one continuous, almost like real-time sequence mm-hmm. um, once the events of the movie sort of start. Um, I found myself kind of like breaking it up into phases to try to like break it up as yeah. scenes or you know yeah and there is like a cyclical aspect mm-hmm. to it it's like you know stuck in the house attempt this escape mm-hmm. doesn't work back to the house new escape back to the house new escape back to the house mm-hmm. um even though this is like a tight like 82 minutes or something like that Short movie. there's a couple points during that like cycle where feels longer than 82 minutes yeah um i didn't have an issue with it like it was you know i didn't feel like it was dragging too much mm-hmm. um but that was something that was brought up in like a couple of reviews i think yeah. e- like the ebert review mm-hmm. says like it's 82 minutes but it feels like 100 minutes right because of that middle portion where mm-hmm. we're cycling through like possibilities which can be a good thing or a bad thing and i think mm-hmm. that's let's look at it from a critical point of view it's like the like the the morbius syndrome where it's like yeah. god damn it this hundred minute movie felt like three hours and uh-huh. not in a good way um or it's like we made this tight thing that mm-hmm. felt like it stretched to entertain you longer yeah because the tension was maintained for so long which i think this yeah. one is i think it, yeah so this one walks that line but i think it, it's I, it's more of the positive for me where yeah it, it, mm-hmm. it maintains the tension throughout where you feel like that that one or two minutes can feel like 10 because of, yeah. of how well, and you also you have the sound design like working for you mm-hmm. at that point yeah to like, talk about the beginning of this movie uh mm-hmm. so maddie we kick off the movie with this awesome sequence of uh of fucking cooking asmr mm-hmm. uh, where kate siegel is uh making i don't know what, what the fuck was she was cooking she was cooking it looked like, like ribs of some sort I saw, yeah, like so something like, like a braised a braised pork and making uh, a cream sauce of, of some kind yeah i was trying to read the recipe as it was coming on screen it mm-hmm. didn't say like the title of the recipe uh-huh. i was like this looks like some kind of cream sauce and i was like how could you fuck this up it's like i don't know it looked like yeah. pretty straightforward unless she was uh-huh. like about to break her she sauce kept tasting it like eight times yeah I was like, you're, was you're, like, you're overworking it. You if know? you put her in the setting of the bear, yeah. it wouldn't go away. <laughs> She'd be fucking dead right well, you're, now. you're overhandling it there. Yeah. That's a, uh, so we have Maddie Young, who was a deaf and a mute, having lost her mm-hmm. ability to hear and speak after contracting bacterial meningitis at the age of 13. Um, we find out that she's had a recent success from publishing her book, Midnight, Midnight Mass, Mass. Uh, and has decided <laughs> to leave New York City and move to an isolated cabin in the woods with her cat named Bitch. Uh, yeah. So at the Which, beginning of this... <laughs> best character in the movie is yeah. that cat probably yeah. cat, that cat kills it yeah <laughs> <laughs> little bitch uh so her friend sarah visits her at the beginning of the movie to return mm-hmm. return a copy of the book uh and it in the midst of maddie cooking dinner and it causes her to set the almost set the house yeah. on fire she becomes distracted yeah. and her loud as fuck fire alarm goes off yeah she has Which, to have obviously like a huge super loud fire alarm to make sure it gets her attention so she can feel the vibrations, the vibrations yeah. yeah um putting in place one of the few checkoffs uh, items for this movie that will mm-hmm. pay off later. Um, so uh, Sarah returns her book. They have kind of like, they have a cute little exchange and Sarah tries to like invite her back for dinner. And she says, mm-hmm. no, nah, I'm good. We can kind of tell, you know, right off the bat, she's a little bit guarded. She's essentially placing herself, you know, in isolation. Yeah. She has, she like, says she has to go back to work. Yeah. Like, even though it's probably 8 PM. Yeah. She's struggling with this writer's block mm-hmm. issue. She's expected to produce another mm-hmm. fan hit 
you know, so she's just stuck in that cycle. Mm-hmm. We see little uh, glimpses from her laptop, uh, FaceTime history and her text history that there's a, an ex-boyfriend who she's mm-hmm. debating calling again, but goes back and forth on it. Um, so some of the passages on her laptop that she's like the alternate endings and everything, those mm-hmm. are scenes from Midnight Mass, actually. Oh, so, so, see, I haven't watched Midnight Mass. Oh, you so haven't now, watched Midnight Mass No, yet? I know. Oh Travis, there's too much shit to watch, uh, okay? I told you I got called in like six times this week. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's funny. The uh, so in in the universe of the of this story, like mm-hmm. she's already written the book Midnight Mass. But yeah, some of the the the, the, the sections that she's working on on her laptop are little sequences. So the characters uh, Aaron, mm-hmm. which is uh, in in Midnight Mass, um, uh, Kate Siegel plays Aaron Green, who's mm-hmm. one of the main characters, and then Riley, who's a is another main character in Midnight Mass. Um, there's some passages from events of that show uh, that will come out in a few years. Hopefully, way later at twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Because like, it didn't come out till twenty twenty one. Yeah, they're playing the long game. Yeah, them Flanagan's. Yeah, they've been working on that for a while at this point, which is crazy to me. I was like, man, that was uh, that was one of the more satisfying things to see in the rewatch of this. I was mm-hmm. like, damn, he's been he's been cranking at it for a second. Yeah. Um, but that was really cute because I was like, even Sarah references like the twist at the end, and I was like, he already he already thought of that. Like, yeah. Back then? <laughs> uh, I don't know. That was really that was really satisfying for me. Um, so in the midst of that, uh, she kind of goes back to working on her stuff and then is like cleaning in the kitchen. Um, and then her friend Sarah shows right back up and is like slammed against the kitchen window, bloodied, uh, having been chased through the woods by, Mm -hmm. uh, the killer, um, because of like the, you, you know, know, maybe somewhat unbelievable positioning of, uh, Maddie. She doesn't see Sarah in her peripheral vision and she doesn't feel, she doesn't feel the vibrations of her pounding, like slamming her body against the glass, which, you know. Whatever, it's a horror yeah. movie. Yeah, it's okay. Exactly. You can do it. I, that's why I think this movie does enough, like to the like the normal level of suspension of disbelief that you're like, okay, yeah, figures. Yeah, like that would work, I guess. I don't know. I'm not deaf. I don't know how yeah. that works. So I'll I'll let it I'll let it slide. Right. Um, so yeah, this uh, masked killer wielding a crossbow attacks and chases Sarah, chasing her to Maddie's house, where she slams on the kitchen door, unseen and unheard by Maddie, uh, and then she gets gruesomely killed. Yeah, uh, and this is where I remembered watching this movie that man, the gore in this fucking movie is pretty it, yeah. hardcore, man. Uh-huh. It's a very like intense gore movie, or yeah. like especially for the the low amount of kills. Yeah, like there's only five characters. Yeah, and what two, three die? Yeah, I mean all except for the main one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess Max. Well, and I mean her. the yeah, who shows up in a Facetime? And call. the cat. The cat makes it okay. Yeah, hell yeah, bitch. Hell yeah, bitch. <laughs> yeah, bitch knew what was happening because bitch ran away right at the beginning. She's like, I'm out. She's like, I'm, Fuck I this see this shit. shit. Yeah, out. yeah. I see this shit going down. Yeah. And she just dipped out in the woods. Yeah, she, uh, but uh, Sarah gets like, because yeah, this this first kill, uh, Sarah gets stabbed like 15 times. Like the killer. He just keeps going, man. Yeah. It's, like it's when you rough. think he's done, he, no, he just keeps going. Oh, yeah. Because not only that, but like, because there's other scenes in this that are also just like macabre. Mm-hmm. Um, like later on, like we're jumping ahead, but like later on, he like holds her body up to the window and is like using the dead body to like That's, tap on. That was the way. best. That was the best like horror element. Yeah, of the film, that. in my opinion. Oh yeah, was that scene? Oh, oh slamming beers. Point nine percent, man. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, she gets killed. Her body slumps to the to the patio. Mm-hmm. And Kate goes back to writing on the couch. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Kate's character, Maddie, goes back and like, yeah, sits Maddie. on the couch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I guess has left all of her doors unlocked because the killer just fucking wanders on in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he straight up just sneaks into her house and does this creepy thing of like taking pictures with her and texting. Yeah. Uh, he like takes her phone. He steals and her phone. Texting her f- and she from has, her own phone. Yeah. And she has iMessage mm-hmm. on her laptop, which that's another th- like a modern horror trope now mm-hmm. is that the use of technology and our reliance on it. Mm-hmm. Like, now she doesn't have her phone. Mm-hmm. And as a deaf person in an emergency, that's not a great situation to be in. No, no. Um, she tries to go. So, like, she kind of quickly realizes that she's being stalked, right? Because she gets these pictures of herself from outside of her, inside or outside of her own mm-hmm. home. And uh, so she goes to the window. Uh, she goes to the window and uh, sees uh, JGJ uh, outside. Uh, so at this point, he's still wearing this creepy fucking mask. Mm-hmm. Like a white... Uh, lightly wrinkled yeah it was almost like a black phone ish kind of mask kind of it's yeah. like a yeah like a like a classical theater sort of like play it mm-hmm. I forget i had read somewhere where it came it came from the set of another movie and mm-hmm. i can't remember what it was now off the top of my head if you guys know what it is just put it in my comments or something yeah uh, we'll put it in the footnotes later. yeah because uh, <laughs> i had read that it, it's, it was like literally yeah it's like a partially finished mask for a different set or something yeah um, it kind of looks like the uh, the theater like the one laughing and the one yeah, the crying. tragedy and comedy masks. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It looks like the tragedy mask. Yeah, where it, but it almost but it has like a smirk on it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just the perfect design for that type of mask. Which, where yeah, it, it lays it out for what that character is going to be like. Yeah, she sees like yeah. Kate quickly realizes like what's kind of going on. Um, so it's like she's she goes to try to call the police from her laptop and uh, JGJ's character cuts the power and Wi-Fi yeah. to the place. Yeah, he like rips um, a fuse out or something. Yeah. Like that. She trips goes, the breaker. She goes to her bag and like pulls out the lipstick and writes on the window um, to the outside, you know, won't tell, didn't see face, boyfriend coming home. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get this like great moment where I feel like, ah, man, I don't, this is just such a great slasher killer. Um, mm-hmm. Not only because he uses a fucking crossbow, which I think is a great weapon for a slasher to use. Like uh-huh. it's, it's, it's quiet and menacing. And, yeah. Like, it's also interesting because he could use a gun and she wouldn't hear it. Yeah. So, <laughs> but that's the point is like, yeah. he was using a crossbow so that other people wouldn't hear it. It's uh-huh. like, you know, it's a quiet weapon, I guess. Yeah. And that doesn't uh, give him like an advantage over her mm-mm. because she wasn't going to hear it anyway. Yeah. She's like, well, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, but then the killer responds by taking off the mask and we get the reveal of, of mm-hmm. John Gallagher Jr. Yeah. And uh, this is where we split from like the strangers vibe yeah. where like anybody could do this to you. Now we've given them a human face. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still no purpose, but, it's more personal now. Yeah. I like the development of this character. I like, mm-hmm. cause I mean, John Gallagher Jr. is just also fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, in this movie. I don't know if you, uh, so like, do, what's the first thing that comes to mind that you've seen him in? Um, mm. the big one for me was 10 Cloverfield Lane. I think, yeah, I think the Cloverfield work is probably the most, honestly, that's probably really the only thing that I remember off the top of my head. Yeah, there was the only other ones that like I really think of that I can uh, point to as like really recognizing him. So yeah, 10 Cloverfield Lane, where he's in there with John Goodman, um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and uh, he plays Emmett. Like they're both, tra- they're all trapped in that basement thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, that's an awesome fucking movie. And he does really good, really good work in that. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was briefly in Westworld too. Yeah. Um, he plays a character in, in Westworld named Liam. He also plays a character named Liam in uh, the movie Underwater. Did you ever watch that one? Mm-hmm. N- no. That's but that's one. newer, right? Yeah. That's that, like 2020? That was, yeah, that was the weird one where it, it was finally released in 2020. Uh, it's with uh, Kristen Stewart where, uh, yeah. yeah, they had put that one off for a while. And it's basically like the the deep water Lovecraftian 
horror movie. It, that that one's actually really awesome. I think that's mm-hmm. a very underrated movie. And I, I do know I haven't watched it yet, but it's in my list. He was in Short Term Twelve. Yeah, as well. Yeah, which uh, he plays Mason. Back in incredible reviews. Like I said, it's in my list. Yeah, heard it's great. Just haven't watched it yet. Also, uh, after we get off mic, I have to show you. Uh, <laughs> as I was looking up his credits. I, was, I found this one credit for a uh, cast version of a music video for um, uh, 21 Guns. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> Turns out uh, John Gallagher Jr. was one of the stars in the Broadway production of American Idiot back in 2010. Jesus Christ. <laughs> there was this well, fucking, there was I this, don't know how to feel about that. Oh, my God. No, it's amazing, dude. There's this, uh, there's this really, really awesome live performance from 2010 at like the Tony Awards mm. where uh, Billy Joel comes on and... Uh, he like introduces or Billy Joe Armstrong. Armstrong, yeah. yeah. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Yeah. He's Billy Joel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he comes on and introduces the entire cast of uh, the Broadway production of American Idiot, and you see John and Gallagher Jr. right up there at JGJ. the front singing, <laughs> yeah, American Idiot, and it's uh, the dude's got range, I guess. You know, I was surprised. That's cool. Yeah, he's got a fucking voice on him. He's got pipes, man. Um, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm here for JGJ, and also like like I said, the performance in this movie, this killer really gets rounded out i feel like Mm -hmm. we uh we get a lot more of him than just being a menacing ominous force yeah uh, because he does start to break a little bit towards Mm -hmm. the end yeah so you get the humanization a little bit yeah and you can tell he's like he has his uh he has his weaknesses and his like his like avarice and like you know Mm -hmm. um his his i don't know boldness and stuff that he tries to like inflict on uh, on the maddie character because after yeah so after he after she writes that on the on the door with lipstick, he shows his face, and he figures out she can lip read, mm-hmm. and he basically tells her like, "I'm gonna fuck with you, mm-hmm. like I'm gonna play this game until," he says, "until you want to die." Yeah, and, and then I'll kill you. Yeah, and this is where I got a big like, and I I didn't read this as much in their what they said about the movie, but I I get you know huge metaphors and like allegory to like the whole like sexual assault and like gender dynamic control mm-hmm. element of it this idea of of he says i can come in there whenever i want to um, yeah and, i can do it yeah and, and then you throw the whole like that the fact that she's hearing disabled mm-hmm. it just exacerbates that he mm-hmm. feels like he has so much power over her yeah that there's no way that this can go poorly for him yeah so he's um, gonna entertain himself to his it. own demise yeah you know uh, but that kicks off the sequence of events which is basically yeah the cat and mouse game uh, for mm-hmm. the rest of the movie um so maddie tries to uh the first thing she tries is uh setting off her own car alarm um Mm -hmm. sort of like as a distraction so that she can go out to uh where she knows sarah's body is i guess at this point we've already gotten like the window tapping scene yeah because she 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 barricades herself in like a a bedroom or a side room and then he just comes up to the window Mm -hmm. and you see yeah sarah's fist like slamming against the window but it's a reveal because we see the tapping you think he's just like I, in my rewatch yeah. of this, the first rewatch, I was like, is he just using the crossbow to tap against it? Like he's going to break the window? Yeah. And then, and then the, the camera shifts and it's her hand. And after the stabbing scene, yeah, I'm like, she's there's no way it's her alive. Yeah. Because she got stabbed like 30 oh, times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, he's propping her body up and tapping on the window. Which, so she, she wasn't able to hear Sarah yeah. slamming her body against the patio door. But then the, the tapping, she gets that. Right. Which, I, I assumed in that one, the, what I was trying to give the movie, I don't know if I was doing too much work for I guess, the movie. There's only like two windows in that room. Yeah. Right? So she probably is fo- hyper-focused yeah. on those two I windows. I assume she like saw the shadow, mm-hmm. you know, because you can see it, you know, in the scene. They do show the, yeah, the shadow coming through the window. Yeah. So that's how she identified it 
and it wasn't the sound also leaning against the wall i don't know that's what i was giving for the movie i was like mm-hmm. all right maybe that's how she fig- hears or feels the the tapping or whatever um but yeah then after that she uses her own car alarm to try to distract him and then try to go pull sarah's phone out yeah. of her pocket she like but... leans out the window mm-hmm. grasping at the dead body mm-hmm. can't get the phone or realizes that he has the phone in his pocket he's already taken it out of sarah's pocket i think he got yes. it out right because then doesn't it, it become a thing later when john shows up yeah yeah like he he but anyway i think he, it's gone yeah he like catches the phone's her, gone. yeah he catches her before she she can uh get it uh and she gets right back in the window real quickly um uh, but in the process of doing that she the hammer that she's grabbed she jams it into his fucking forearm that show was tight oh it was yeah. stuck it was like uh-huh. he pulled it out and she, it was yeah like, she used the claw side yeah and just right into oof, like the inner forearm oof, there um yeah that and was then she way. yeah crawls her way back and locks the window yeah this is talking about like uh there yeah, like i said there was one of those interviews again where mike flanagan talks about you know the conception of gore for this movie particularly where he he notes it's like you you play with gore enough to but like if you you there's a threshold where if you include too much you 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 get into a different genre essentially mm-hmm. you start making a different kind of movie um yeah. and i think that's the hyper awareness we see of that in this movie too where he's like on top of that they're trying to maintain um the sort of the realism of everything that happens in the movie mm. so the idea is that the injuries are, are should affect the characters for the yeah. rest of the movie like you can't and they just do. get away with yeah yeah and, and um, it, it is a, a a pretty realistic portrayal of mm-hmm. you know how, how the responses to these injuries go yeah you know yeah because they start uh, it, bleeding it does, out really quickly. Yeah, and, and he Kate it puts does. him at a desi- yeah. deficit like immediately. Because mm-hmm. uh, he, uh, Mike Flanagan pointed out something interesting that I he had a good way of categorizing injuries in uh, especially in horror movies or even in action movies where he's like, there's two different types of injuries. There's the ones that are suffered by like your protagonists where they get something that should be like life threatening, but then kind of like immediately start walking just fine. It off. Yeah, right. And then the other one that I kind of like think of less where it's like injuries that seem like they should be kind of innocuous but like immediately incapacitate mm-hmm. your henchmen or your villains or something where it's yeah. like a stab to like the, the we- or yeah like, the weaker characters that yeah are fine somebody to gets just shot get in the rid arm of. and is like done done yeah. for um and i i don't know i thought that was interesting because this is this first injury this is the first injury of the movie other than the fatal one to sarah mm-hmm. um and it's one that that uh, jgj has to deal with for the for the remainder of the film um so the next thing that happens is that Maddie uh, attempts to escape through the uh, second story window using her her flashlight uh, mm-hmm. as a distraction. She tosses it off into the woods. Um, so she tries to get outside and is... Yeah. Then... Which, that one threw me off because I thought it was the fire alarm at first right. that she threw. Right. And I was like, why is it not making any sound? Yeah. But now that you say it was the flashlight, it makes a lot more sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she tosses that out there and is trying to like scuffle off the second story uh mm-hmm. of the building but then he like comes back way too fast and that's when she gets yeah. shot in the leg it's also like a corrugated tin roof yeah which would be loud as fuck it's constantly uh i was constantly aware of the fact i was like she doesn't know how loud any of this stuff is yeah because also, walking on that roof would be yeah. super fucking loud yeah and throughout this is that you know that tension that is maintained by the fact that we know as an audience that she can't hear him coming mm-hmm. she can't you know she doesn't know when if he's like out of her you know field of view but she can't see him or anything uh-huh. um and so this is that first uh that first it's, example it is also interesting to see her like her posture and the mm-hmm. way that she sneaks around as somebody who was previously hearing and is now deaf mm-hmm. she knows how to move in a way that's quiet yeah even though she can't hear it yeah like she knows that if i touch this or step on that 
it will make noise yeah because she has like previously experienced hearing these Sunday scaries. Plot wise, I think that's a good. That was a good decision to make, having her be yeah like latently deaf, like mm-hmm. not having been able to hear at one point. Um, it makes yeah at least her performance a little bit more believable. Yeah. Uh, With some of the choices that she makes. Yeah. Yeah. But that first, uh, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's a really quick sort of like reveal of her getting shot in the leg. Uh, and then she he reloads really quickly and she does that matrix dive backwards. Oh, it's so sick! Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> whole like, like on her knees, like right over her nose. Yeah. Um, so she she would you pull it out? I don't know. She she has the crossbow bolt in her leg and she like yanks it out, and then it starts bleeding. Would you leave that shit in there? I mean, that's what they tell you to do. Really? That's what they tell you to do. But you're also not actively trying to run away from somebody. Um, like having that bolt in there could be. I can't imagine running with the bolt yeah. in your leg. You, know? you would assume it's like bumping up against the other like some muscle tendons fibers and muscles. And yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it never happened to me before. Yeah. So, but, and he just assumes that she's like completely incapac- incapacitated on the roof. So he's like, I'm just going to climb up there and throws his co- crossbow up onto the roof. Like she won't do anything with that. And then he, she just kicks the shit out of him. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. Just bonks him real quick. And yeah. Falls down. And then takes the crossbow and goes back in the house. Yep. Swiped. Mm-hmm. Uh, she makes it into through the second window of the house. And then so begins the sequence of her trying to load the crossbow bolt. Um, yeah. Or I guess she, first she goes through the process of tourniqueting her leg. Yeah. So. How does this play for you? The, <laughs> <laughs> the one, the biggest like medical thing is she... So she does do like the tourniquet. She gets some cloth, right, and ties it tight around. That's great. Then she pours alcohol in her open wound. Oh, yeah, that was the one. Which, okay, you want to stare. Like the infection is not going to kill you. There's a guy chasing you yeah. trying to actively kill you. Yeah. We're not going to wor- – let's not worry about your gaping leg wound yeah. getting infected. In the time it would take for that to get infected, a lot of other stuff is probably going to happen. Yeah, and yeah. that alcohol – will increase the bleeding of the wound yeah i guess like it'll if you, lower the uh, viscosity of your blood yeah it'll and it, it, it affects a bunch of different clotting factors mm-hmm. and stuff like it that's gonna it's gonna bleed worse now it's not gonna clot interesting yeah um, i didn't even consider that i just cringed at how fucking painful that would have been oh big time yeah like props to her for doing it yeah. but like that's not your <laughs> biggest problem right now it was your like, bigger problem is the guy standing outside the window like actively trying to yeah. kill you yeah, and at any moment he could have like I don't know I was surprised we'll get to it later on but um yeah that was the moment where I was like God fuck that looks painful mm-hmm. I I don't know whenever I take care of like cuts and bruises and stuff I I do that I go for the straight pour I don't try mm-hmm. to like dab it with like you know a towel or yeah anything. just dump it in yeah um I got a pretty ready supply of peroxide and alcohol because I hurt myself a lot mm-hmm. um yeah the last one I think was like on my finger I was just like dumping that shit in there Might yeah we'll just do it that way um. But you like also have ample time to deal with that injury afterwards. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you're not running away I from I haven't been chased by anybody in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's uh, been a hot minute. It's been a hot minute. Yeah. Maybe uh, the cops in high school. That's probably the last time I got chased by somebody. Or maybe when we played baseball at yeah. the bachelor party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah That's got, the fastest I've Josh run. Josh like, pickle, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I was so out of breath after like one stint of base running oh yeah no my, my body's been fucked up for like two weeks dude mm-hmm. i haven't been i've just now recovered from like that bicep strain or whatever my yeah. groin is finally healing where i can jog again um 
yeah getting old mm-hmm. getting old uh, this is the old man podcast now yes uh so so begins the excruciating sequence of her trying to load the crossbow mm-hmm. i mean crossbows are hard to load i guess right they, they are usually yeah. have like a lever situation yeah i mean like the the more modern yeah the more modern ones do His you know they have like, like the, a... the foothold where you can put it in and then a lot of them have like a some sort of tool that you mm-hmm. put on the actual bow itself yeah. to pull it back. But Even, she's just trying to rip it back with like her busted ass fingers. Yeah. And they get more and more busted as yeah. she's like, like not like and they're all bloody and yeah, that was a sequence that almost even more than the, you know, the alcohol thing. Like, cause she just keeps doing it like 20 mm-hmm. or 30 times and tries to yeah. fucking like reload this crossbow. And just the, the thought of that, like flicking your fingernails and uh-huh. like, we've done, we've done, I've done that before with like a compound like bow or something yeah. or something where you, where you like release it poorly and yeah. it just slaps against like your forearm or yeah. your wrist. It's a, it's a very specific, but very painful. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like those motherfuckers get. in high school who like, snapped you with rubber bands yeah it's like that but 30 times worse oh yeah that's it's terrible but uh in the midst of this as she's trying to load the crossbow this is when michael trucos shows up mm-hmm. uh, john who is uh the the partner of sarah yeah that's her that's her boyfriend that shows up uh so <laughs> michael truco from uh one tree hill and he plays cooper lee um oh, he, was in a, he was in a movie called next in 2007 uh he played kendall this is like it's this uh uh nicholas cage movie uh with jessica biel in it yeah I don't know how I never heard about this, but this is apparently one of his like biggest roles where it's like a, a Las Vegas magician who can see into the future is pursued by FBI agents seeking to use his abilities to prevent a nuclear terrorist attack. With that Nicholas sounds Cage. right up my alley. <laughs> I'm going to go home and watch that tonight. <laughs> I did not see that. Um, he's also going to be in Midnight Mass, or he's also in Midnight Mass, uh, and he's also credited as being in um, The Fall of the House of Usher, which is the mm-hmm. uh, Edgar Allan Poe thing coming the upcoming. out. Upcoming. Um, literally everybody in this movie is going to be, except for uh, John Gallagher Jr., is going to be in a Mike Flanagan's Involved show. in the next. Yeah, he, he does that. He's, he's, a, he's very much an ensemble kind of guy. He mm-hmm. likes to, uh, to reuse actors. Um, but yeah, John shows up, uh, and we get this whole sequence of uh, JGJ trying to fake him out. He, he immediately... Pretending he's a cop. Yeah, he yeah. shows up with a flashlight and... Does a, a pretty bang up job of impersonating a cop, I guess, like in plain clothes. Yeah, I don't know because he and he, he plays it off as like I'm a rookie cop. They yeah. sent me out here. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, and then his character starts to break a little bit as John questions him mm-hmm. because he can't explain anything that happened. Yeah, he talks about how somebody phoned it in, uh, and John's like, "How would have Maddie have phoned it in? She's she's deaf, mute. Yeah, and mute." Yeah. Like, and it's a, but technically, like that was one of the plot holes of the movie. Somebody pointed out that there are there are lots of tools in place for for. Yeah, like it, it, I mean, if you're a deaf mute person to... on your phone or on your computer, there's you have emergency apps. Yeah. Or things that can facilitate that. Yeah. Then again, it was 2016. I don't know, but I, I mean, it was probably already in place by then. It had to be. I'm sure that was one of the first things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, John realizes pretty quickly that uh, JGJ is sus, and he starts. Uh, trying to lay the ground fucking with him yeah he's like yeah. there's a we should get in there she has a key under the flower pot mm-hmm. and keeps trying to like get him to go over there and get the key yeah no he, which yeah, is like he, a super awkward interaction <laughs> it's like yeah it's right over there under there 
and he keeps like pointing and be like, yeah. go, go right over there. Which like he could <laughs> easily, I mean, that is kind of, you know, that's what John Gallagher Jr. admits in a second is, is John is way bigger than the killer. Uh, Michael Truco's character is way bigger than JGJ. Like he, yeah. he could easily And JGJ him. has played upon his like slight, slight strength as a man to overpower women at this mm-hmm. point but now like a n- pretty standard sized dude shows up and he's like way out of his element mm-hmm. and, and he, he admits that he's like yeah i wouldn't have won that fight. he says in a minute he says i give it a two and a ten chance two and ten chance i win that fight yeah uh but yeah so michael truco's character john has like a rock behind his back and he's about to fucking boink him on the head mm-hmm. and uh at the worst possible moment maddie like appears in the window and is like oh help has arrived and she slams against the window trying to get yeah. attention and distracts john yeah for just long enough for jgj to yak him right in the in the throat yeah gets the little pocket right, in the, in there. right in the carotid artery yeah right in the jugular um but john is a strong man he mm-hmm. uh he manages to still tackle john gallagher jr uh, and gets him to the ground and starts like put it puts him in a chokehold, uh, mm-hmm. trying to create enough time for Maddie yeah. to to run. While yeah, while he's like slowly bleeding out. Mm-hmm. How long he, do you think he's he like mouthing "run" yeah. to her through the door? Yeah. You know? Um, this seemed pretty realistic to me. I was like, if you're bleeding out from <clears throat> that very essential artery, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they don't give him much time. Yeah, it's like it's within like, three minutes or something, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it'd probably even time. be like a little bit less than that but yeah. you know we want to suspend that that scene a he's little a bit big strong man with yeah adrenaline he's and got a lot, yeah and he's got a lot of blood yeah big dude big bag of blood yeah he's a big old bag of blood um so john bleeds to death and mm-hmm. uh JGJ, Slo- yeah slowly releases the chokehold yeah jg i mean he barely manages to escape mm-hmm. uh but uh, in the course of this uh maddie starts doing the uh, the mental calculus of trying to figure out how she can get out of the situation uh, she goes through all those different like scenarios and stuff. We get the first fake out of her like running outside, uh, and then getting tackled mm-hmm. um, and killed immediately. Yeah, yeah. I had actually forgotten on my first rewatch like what happens the rest of the movie, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh fuck, he bashes her in the head, and then he just like yeah, keeps bashing. Just blood yeah. spurting everywhere. That uh, there's a it's a very haunting of Hill House shot when her limp body like turns to the camera and like mm-hmm. is speaking to her inner thought process or whatever yeah and it's like you can't run mm-hmm. uh, and she starts using her uh, her writer voice and her writer yeah. brain what she go. does we we didn't touch on that at the beginning but she mentions in her conversation mm-hmm. with sarah sarah asks her like how do you come up with this and she's like i can't stop coming up with this mm-hmm. it's the way that her brain works mm-hmm. every possible scenario like runs through her brain mm-hmm. um the one thing that confused me slightly, because in the beginning, she was like, when she was talking to Sarah, she's like, do you have a voice in your head? And she said, that voice that I hear in my head is my mother. Hmm. But then when she's going through the scenarios of how she could potentially escape, it's her own voice. Yeah. Which, I I mean, or I, like, I, w- I thought you could have used that to, like, bring her mother into it. Yeah. Like, it was her mother's voice narrating it. It's like, I guess we, like, you know, we, you know, we know as an audience that it's, like, Kate Siegel's voice. Mm-hmm. But, like, I guess conceivably you could be, like, that's just what her mom sounds like or something. Yeah, but they um, also, they show, a, like, an apparition of Kate herself speaking to herself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, that works, that's too. Fun. She's going through, like, an internal yeah. dialogue. I'm okay with it. Um, uh, I like the apparition. I, it is very, yeah, that is, like, a big Haunting of Hill House moment. It, it gets, like, slightly 
supernatural for a second there at mm-hmm. that point where she actually does these like cool out of body experience things and i thought yeah, it was like nice to like little, play out every scenario yeah, it was a nice little spice a nice yeah. little cool like mm-hmm. it, it does, broke it up a bit yeah it definitely like creates a little bit more yeah a little bit more um uh flavor for that this particular sequence because we've gotten so much of sort of like you said the same thing of uh, of her running away and then coming back in the house um that's gotten kind of visually exhausting at this point mm-hmm. but uh at this point John's dead. She's going through her mental calculus. And then JGJ uh, uh, starts threatening Bitch the Cat, who has showed up uh, with a knife. First fucking mistake. Dude. Yeah. Don't yeah. fuck with Don't that cat, Don't fuck man. with Bitch. Um, what's been happening in the background through the mental calculus thing is that uh, Maddie has decided she realizes that she can't run, uh, she can't hide, and she's going to bleed out um, if she yeah. doesn't do something. And mm-hmm. so she's certainly the only option left yeah. is to fight. Yeah. Uh, so she's and what he's not something. expecting is for her to, like, bash back. Yeah. Um, which I think is, is what sort of like brings the the theme, like I said, uh, subverting the trope of the um, disabled person damsel in distress is is kind of this this particular turn and climax is mm-hmm. her making the decision that, you know, I, yeah. I have to take this guy down because yeah. otherwise I'm going to die here. You know what? Um, Actually, fuck you. Yeah. 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 Because everybody else is dead and mm-hmm. there's no there's nobody left to, left to help her. Um so yeah, uh, John Gallagher Jr. is like holding up a cat. He's about to like, I guess, and do some fucking animal. He's about to murder the cat. <laughs> He's yeah. about to kill that fucking cat, and uh, he gets shot right in the chest with the uh, with the crossbow. Yeah, bolt. good shot. Like good shot. I think. Yeah, she 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 yeah. got out of the house, got like fifteen feet closer, mm-hmm. and then got him like just above the heart, like right in the shoulder. Yeah, right, right in the Not shoulder, enough to lethal. disable slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he immediately starts chasing her down. Mm-hmm. She gets back inside, but falls. Mm-hmm. Right, and her yeah, hand. She's trying. Ugh, this scene on dude. par with like the green room green room and yeah, X. That's just immediately what it's I thought was green hand room. stuff, dude. Yeah. Hand stuff just fucks me up. I don't yeah. know why. Like even more so than like eyeball or teeth stuff. It's just mm-hmm. also that because I think it exists in this realm where special effects wise you can show more of it for mm-hmm. like longer i guess i think yeah. you know you can get away with more of it because she is reaching for the crossbow bolt outside of the door outside of the sliding glass door and tries to pull her hand in really quickly but he, he slams, slams the door shut. on her hand so her only her hand is stuck out yeah and then he just uses his boots to yeah. do what you know we don't assume he's got like yeah. steel-toed boots or something uh-huh. he just stomps the hell out of her hand mm-hmm. and it comes out and they do a great job special effect wise i assume you know one of the few things that they spent money on special effects wise yeah was the you know the prosthetics and stuff for this thing where mm-hmm. her hand because they keep showing it for the remainder of, of the movie and stuff is it's fucked up fingers yeah. are going in directions they're not supposed to and it's no. it's it's a problem it's pretty brutal yeah and uh yeah they make you feel it like like I said, we talked about, you know, the, the, the continuity of the gore and the injuries and stuff. And by this point, like, even in her self-reflections, like a scene before where she's like, you're already losing consciousness. Like, you're mm-hmm. starting to bleed out. Like, you can see from her You have this much time. Like, yeah. her vision's fading. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of one thing we kind of forgot to, like, talk about was throughout these sequences uh periodically we go in and out of her perspective where the sound the sound cuts out swoop in and yeah it's as if we go underwater she's like looking out a window and all you hear is like a very muted Mm -hmm. like background noise which flanagan used like a bunch of different shit to make Mm -hmm. that noise yeah because everything in this movie is 80 yard like yeah try to use like practical sound and stuff Mm -hmm. but it it was all just too noisy and yeah um didn't he said even like a stampede of elephants yeah he even considered doing it completely silent Mm -hmm. like from 
Maddie's perspective. Right. Like a but silent movie. He basically said like modern audiences would yeah. get too distracted. No, I think, and um, I think you're wasting the opportunity to do what he did, which is use yeah. really cool sound design to, to like, juxtapose the two realities that they're living in. Yeah. Um, um, but to that point about, yeah, the injuries and stuff, she's, she knows that she's bleeding out and this injury, particularly like these last couple of sequences, like we could tell they are both in very, like very desperate dire straits. Yeah. It's a, it's a rough situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does manage to get back inside though. Uh, she, I don't know, maybe adrenaline and stuff. She's able to like handle holding her hand and everything. Like I've, yeah. I, don't I mean, know. from those per- first person perspectives where mm-hmm. we cut to like, the sound cuts out and you're seeing from her eyes like and they show like her vision is like tunneling Mm -hmm. and pulsing like she knows she's on the way out Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean they do a pretty good job i also just thought about the trauma of yeah like dealing with like the pain of your hand and stuff i found Mm -hmm. that like when i broke my arm dude like i remember that like walking like three quarters of a mile tried to get back to my house because i was skateboarding with a husky mm-hmm. and like having my my bones popping out right there where the hole yeah. is and everything and then going and putting my arm in a bathtub and just waiting for the ambulance to show up while i was like bleeding and shit mm. and i was like it's surprising how little you feel when you go into shock and yeah. you know start really getting taken over by mm-hmm. adrenaline and like but she's been in shock for yeah several hours I at know, this right? point after so. that leg wound and everything yeah um but he uh he basically comes up to the door and uh he's like he's mouthing to her she he's saying to her i'm gonna i'm gonna come in and uh so she like reaches and takes her own blood and writes on the door do, do it, it coward, coward. Oh, the most metal thing <laughs> ever i love it dude um, yeah and courtney was in the room when that scene came out she was like fuck yeah yeah <laughs> metal as fuck yeah uh so she goes to her laptop really quick and then uh types out like the description of him for whoever finds it i guess yeah like uh, love says, you mom and dad yeah love you died Max. fighting mm-hmm. uh, um this is what he looks like and slams the laptop shut mm-hmm. and she and grabs she... a kitchen knife goes in the ba- ba- uh, the bathroom yeah uh, and he climbs on the roof correct? yeah he manages to get in through the skylight, skylight of the bathroom and she's facing away from the bathtub at the door waiting mm-hmm. for him to come in so he like creeps down behind her into the bathtub with a knife and we see he's about to fucking stab her in the back but he breathes it's on, on her, her neck, neck. And she and you get a, the little hair flick yeah like. really great visual representation of of this whole moment like of like her sensory experience uh-huh. at that point in time yeah um, and then also just the action of her yeah super it's like hero. slow motion matrix Spin again around where he's going to stab and she pulls like the perfect counter move yeah just <sighs> narrowly avoids it and stabs him right in the leg mm-hmm. uh so he's yeah he's got a few wounds at this point and she scrambles out to the kitchen grabs the wasp killer uh he comes out mm-hmm. and she fucking sprays him right, right in the, in the eyes. eyes oof uh, so they start tussling, though. Uh, she wrestles; he wrestles her to the uh, to the ground, mm-hmm. knocking off Chekhov's wine opener uh, from the <laughs> table. Um, he starts suffocating her, and it seems like she's down for the count. Yeah, and she she's finally like gets kind her. of bleeding in and out of consciousness. Yeah, we start seeing flashbacks of her. And she's whole life reaching sequences. for the. Oh yeah, she, literally her whole life yeah. flashes before her eyes. Yeah. She gets a fingertip on that wine opener, though, and then it's the old-timey wine opener where it's yeah. not a lever or anything. It's no, just it's like, just straight you know, spiral corkscrew. Yeah, just a pig's tail. And, she and just right, right through his trachea, yeah. man. Like, it's a great sound effect. Just yeah. like the blood just starts spurting all over her, Ooh. all over the ground. Uh, yeah, and then he's he's done for after that. Yeah, yep. that was a good one. Uh, and then, uh, I thought she was gonna like. I couldn't remember what happens in the end. I thought she passed out on the on the ground, and then like would she like calls nine one one, and then she like, gets her phone back. Yeah, yeah, and then like 
is laying on the ground. But then she like manages to, I guess, stumble outside and she sits yeah. on the deck of the and patio. And she gets up and goes and sits with her cat. Mm-hmm. Sits yeah. with bitch on the sits porch. Right next to bitch. It's a very uh, ready or not. It is. Like, oh, everybody's dead. Everybody yeah. goes sit and greet the cops as they show up. I thought this was a it was it was funny that we did this episode, uh yeah, me and you, because yeah, this is a very like ready or not kind of thing too, where at the end of it you're like, Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> this all turned out great. Yeah, except for except for John, John and Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't really do too well at the end of this movie. Um, they did not. Yeah, but she smiles right there at the very end. Mm. And I guess like I remember watching it. Uh, the first rewatch I did, I was like trying to feel how I felt about her smiling at the end of the movie. I was like, mm. people have died tonight. Uh, yeah. But the other thing is like, I know from a, from a storytelling, you know, perspective, it's like, it's the, a triumph yeah, for it's her the triumph of the yeah. character uh, and everything. So I was okay with it. Um, but it's great. Yeah. I, I don't know. This is a really fun, it's a very dark movie uh, visually mm. to watch. I yeah. Was trying no, to like I had it. to close all the blinds mm. and like, you have to be in the right setting mm-hmm. to be able to see everything. Cause yeah. the va- after he cuts that breaker, mm-hmm. everything is super dark for the rest mm-hmm. of the movie, which makes it hard. I think it's a, especially technically, <clears throat> you know, when you're not doing the things that uh, bodies, bodies, bodies did where you're, you're utilizing the darkness and only providing like situational light from, you know, flashlights and stuff mm-hmm. like that movie. Glow sticks. Dark. Yeah. Glow yeah. sticks. <laughs> Um, this movie is ambiently lit. Like it's lit mm-hmm. in an outdoor it's setting. Very moonlight. Yeah, where you still get you know the the complete picture of a scene. They're all just very very dark. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it seemed like that would be a very a pretty big technical problem. Um, yeah, it's still. I mean, it's it's a like we said, it's it's a great movie visually and for it's it is a testament to Mike Flanagan's filmmaking power of how interesting the movie. You know how the movie maintains tension and mm-hmm. uh, your interest throughout it in this single location with just the couple of characters. Yeah. And it's just, it is just a, it's, it's a very uh, linear premise. Mm-hmm. Like there's not much besides like John showing up. Mm-hmm. That's it's super linear. Yeah. It's just like, the this one is battle. The, going this on. is the one problem mm-hmm. for 82 minutes. Yeah. Um, but within that, there are lots of tiny other little problems that I mm-hmm. think that's how you create that, um, enough of like a dynamic plot to like maintain maintain the interest yeah Yeah, it's like her attempting a solution and then having the problem you know that it's a very trial and error yeah yeah Um, because i don't think we even touched on the where she climbs underneath the patio that's right that That was the other that was the escape attempt that we forgot that happens before she gets on the roof and uh, gets shot in the leg and Uh, she feel she like is under the patio and puts her hand up on the patio mm -hmm. to feel the vibration of him walking away. Yeah, because that's the first one that is the most just like she literally just goes outside and comes back inside. Because mm-hmm. that's I think that's why it's easy to gloss over. Uh, yeah, we forgot about that one. It happens before she gets shot in the leg. Yeah, where you're right. Well, because nothing particularly violent or like anything that affects the rest of the film happens yeah. in that. Yeah, in that attempt. Um, except for a demonstration of her, you know, ability to like. Yeah, that was actually one of the things too that like um, uh, that the other like the deaf actress was like talking about was a an interesting way to show that she can like you know use some of these other tools that she has mm-hmm. uh to survive the situation yeah you like um, you force yourself to gain other abilities mm-hmm. because you're disadvantaged in a i always way. hesitate to uh <laughs> what is there's a uh isn't that like a bit in uh, some show where they're like well they're they're deaf right so they have other superhuman senses or something like uh, can't they, so like... they're daredevil right <laughs> yeah. like yeah um, or they're but, blind, so they're daredevil. Yeah, yeah. It's like no, they're still just a regular person up to a certain point. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no. Overall, like I think it's a, uh, 
it's a, it's a fun and suspenseful movie uh and i think does a really good job of capturing and like operating on that very basic fear mm-hmm. of man being alone in your house is scary sometimes yeah and it, it just it is fine with just being what it is mm-hmm. you know um the the reception to it was pretty fucking good yeah everybody for, seemed to like this a lot uh, um they, there was no hype building up to it just they just showed up at south by it? southwest south by mm-hmm. yeah so it premieres at south by southwest on march 12th uh, in 2016 um where yeah it, it it's screened for audiences and then is uh, pretty quickly picked up by netflix mm-hmm. uh who buys the exclusive um uh, exclusive rights to it distribution rights uh I, I guess it's seen and it's released on netflix on april 8th mm-hmm. um yeah it's seen by uh stephen king who man if you get comments from you stephen know, king he man he fucking tweets fucking about ticket. it yeah, yeah he loves he, it man. yeah he fucking loved it he says you know it's, it's all i can say is uh or uh you know he he fucking loved it um and uh which arguably kind of created the uh uh, grease the wheels for Mike Flanagan to go do Gerald's game, uh, mm. which was the adaptation that he always kind of wanted to do. Um, he just had to get on King's radar. Exactly. Yeah. You get on King's radar and you're fucking golden, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and Friedkin loved it too. Yeah. William Friedkin, the exorcist yeah. director, uh, which is crazy, man. Like say. that's a, you get those, those fucking, you know, headliner comments. He said, man. Hush is a great horror film. Dot, dot, dot on Netflix. Terrifying. That that's was his crazy. whole commentary, yeah. but like it's Friedkin. So if you say if he says anything positive, you're mm-hmm. in the gold. Yeah, yeah. Those are those are that's that's very high praise from two very very important people in the horror uh, um, mm. industry. Yeah, because King compared it to Halloween. Mm-hmm. He was like, "It's up there with Halloween." Yeah. I was like, "Oh you're shit!" Like, yeah, <laughs> and it is. I think it is a uh, yeah. Like it's as far as slashers go. Like I said, this is a. I don't. I think that's it's kind of like one of the most basic forms of a slasher you can get like it's just yeah. it's two characters one menacing another one mm-hmm. um and without being based on any particular like event or anything it's just what would happen when you have one character trying to kill another one yeah and um, that and that formula works if yeah. you do it correctly yeah sometimes that's all you need yeah granted they they added like a slight extra layer with the uh the, her being hearing mm-hmm. impaired but you know you can make you can take the same formula and give it one tiny little tweak. Mm-hmm. And as long as you do it well, it'll work. Yeah. yeah. And to that point, I wonder, I, like, that's kind of what I'm wondering about, you know, this whole genre and stuff with the subgenre exactly with slashers is like, it is like the most basic form of a horror movie. It's mm-hmm. literally just like you, what happens if a person tries to kill somebody else? Like, and yeah. there's so many movies that operate on that, that. In a situation that maybe you could be in mm-hmm. potentially. And that's really all the setup you need. Yeah, and I think it's a good way to kind of like contextualize the next couple of movies we're going to do because we're getting to the big meaty part of our series here as it uh, sort of winds up, and uh, the next couple of movies are much more, uh, much more bizarre in their situational mm-hmm. uh, sort of uh, premise and setup. Um, but we'll talk about that when we talk about the next movie we're doing. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, box office wise, we can't really we don't have anything for this because uh, yeah. Netflix picked it up and they yeah we don't it. know what the contract was. Yeah, and Netflix we don't know anything about Netflix or what how they measure things or do things because mm-hmm. they are very. As uh, we've talked about that before too, it's like <laughs> give um, me your tax returns, Netflix. Yeah, seriously, release the Netflix. Yeah, release your tax returns. 
but we can assume that it they made were pretty happy with more with than the million they put into it. Yeah, yeah. because uh, after this, uh, you know, green greenlit for Mike Flanagan are uh, the Haunting of Hill House, mm-hmm. uh, Haunting of Bly Manor, Midnight Mass. Yeah, um, and those are just the Netflix. So just things. funded by Netflix, exactly. So it um, must have made them a shit ton of money. And even with uh, you know the recent sort of streaming drama going on with Warner Brothers, HBO, Netflix mm-hmm. itself, trying to sort of figure out what the next steps are as they realize they become too bloated. Um, things for Mike Flanagan, like uh, his new um, series, The Falling House of Usher, are that's apparently still high enough priority that it hasn't been um, squashed or cut off mm-hmm. or anything. Um, so I think Mike Flanagan's doing okay, and I'm I'm excited to see uh, he's what, doing what fine. comes of it. Yeah, yeah, comes of his next stuff. Um, yeah, definitely don't watch this movie alone by yourself if you've never seen it before, mm-hmm. and you live out not, in the middle of yeah, not at home <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> Even living, um, like, I don't know what's scarier, living, we live in a relatively high population, like, we're in a big city in Dallas, and mm-hmm. even in the area of Dallas that we live, it's, you know, outside of the main part of the city, but it's still pretty densely populated. Yeah. I don't know what's scarier, living in that, or kind of like we talked about in the Strangers episode, being out in the middle of nowhere, and being isolated. I assume it's being isolated. I haven't yeah, been I mean, I will say, world. like, so I grew up mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere, where, like, we couldn't see from my house you couldn't see the neighbor's house you know and then i moved to milwaukee i spilled beer on me (laughs) no you didn't see shit uh i moved to milwaukee well i moved to lacrosse and then i moved to milwaukee and then i moved to dallas but still every time i go back to like one of my parents house or the cabin that they own and yeah your dad's house is like out there yeah i mean yeah you came with me yeah um when you like when I go back and stay with them, it really puts things in perspective. Oh, yeah. Like sleeping there or sleeping in the cabin up in northern Wisconsin, it makes you realize how there's like no fucking sound. It it gets to me after having lived in big cities for like twelve years at this point. It would definitely take some adjustment for me to get used to that. Like uh, your dad was talking about I really um, do I I do like it, yeah. but it that transition, like once I'm back out in that space, it yeah. takes a second to be like to realize that the silence is not inherently bad. Yeah. You know, your dad was talking about um, like snowmobiling and stuff up there during the winter time. And mm-hmm. just the thought occurred to me, I was like, God damn it. Yeah. You're just getting snowed in up here whenever. Yeah. It you might just like, be stuck there for a while. Yeah. For, for a, while. a few days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's, yeah, that's terrible. I mean, we'll, we'll get to the shining eventually, but yeah, yeah. that's like that level of, uh, of being trapped and stuff. That, like there's that no way out. Yeah. yeah. The roads are closed. Yeah. That creeps me out too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like this movie a lot. I, I'm very, I, I know I'm overly positive about pretty much every movie because I put them all on the list for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to do a better job of putting movies I don't like on the watch list, but we'll save that for the next couple seasons. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. We, we um, got to play the hits first. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying not to burn them all too quickly. Um, you've been watching anything cool lately? Um, not too much because I've been super busy at work, but I did make my way through the rehearsal. Oh, shit. Um, the new Nathan Fielder HBO comedy. I've heard a lot of like conflicting, like people are, why are people so upset about that show? They're upset about it because, so I don't know. I haven't done enough research at this point. Cause I just recently finished it. Um, <clears throat> his previous show, Nathan for you mm-hmm. on comedy central, um, puts himself in situations where he's helping like a business owner, but he's, he is fucking with them. Right. The, the, the whole idea is that he's like a consultant, but he plays, he does incredible work at keeping a straight face and 
like proposing these ideas to like uh, a frozen yogurt shop like you know what would help your sales poop flavored frozen yogurt and he just rides with it and like you can't tell that he's not serious um but then in the rehearsal some of the actors or not actors the people in the series with him it can be seen as him exploiting their like social ineptitude like he's punching down kind of with the humor Mm -hmm. or like yeah one of the main characters angela is like a an in like a pretty intense evangelical and he uses that to like a comedic point Mm -hmm. um you know the progression of the rehearsal is very impressive because i thought it was going to be like an episodic like each episode is a different thing and they all really tie into each other really well and I think the work that he does in that sense is like really impressive. Um, but I do agree with some of the criticisms. If I will say, if these other people in the series are truly playing themselves, right? Which I'm not sure of yet. Are yeah. these actors or are they That's why like, I didn't know if it was still like a reality TV format or yeah, something. And I haven't read up enough mm-hmm. about it, but yeah, basically the, the qualms that a lot of people have is if these are real people, you're exploiting them for mm-hmm. your show, which is fair. Yeah. Totally fair. I enjoyed watching it um, regardless. Um, but if I do find out that it was strictly like him exploiting these people with certain ineptitudes, it'll frame it a lot differently. Yeah. Um, but I think it, the premise is like in super interesting and it's worth at least diving into a little bit yeah. if if that interests you in the least bit yeah i like nathan fielder and i like mm-hmm. nathan for you i definitely want to check that out yeah i don't know did you watch um yeah oh yeah i asked you earlier you haven't watched she hulk no not yet <sighs> again so, <laughs> it's again it's so, episodic release no, so i have I'm to sorry, wait I'm until myself for because i was so because I, you are watching i She-Hulk? started out watching like i was like <laughs> Obviously, the the pop culture completionist in me, I'm gonna hate watch this and just get through it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But dude, it's so it's written by uh, Jessica Gao or is it Zhao or Gao? I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly. Uh, she was a writer for lots of uh, different TV, including like you know Rick and Morty and stuff. She's a mm-hmm. comedy writer, um, and just like the humor in this show is like it's weirdly like really it's actually really fucking funny, and mm-hmm. it's uh it, it does that thing of um, in the comic books, I guess. Uh, the character of She-Hulk is really big on, like, breaking the fourth wall um, and talking to the reader and the audience. Okay. Uh, and so they do that in the show to the point that it is very much like a... Um, did you ever... Did you watch Fleabag? With, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it's like it's like a Marvel Fleabag, essentially. Gotcha, where they just lean into the camera. Exactly. Then, yeah. But then combined with the similar issues of, like, you know, like, dating and, like, you know, like, gender <laughs> dynamics and other shit and just, like, being on yeah. the nose and, like, sarcastic. I'm laughing a bit because... So all I know about She-Hulk is from Twitter. Yeah. And one of the tweets that I saw was like, it was a picture of the actress that plays She-Hulk. And it was basically saying, this show's unbelievable because we're expected to believe that she can't find matches on Twitter, (laughs) on on Tinder. And then it's just a picture of her and it's like, yeah, that wouldn't be an issue. Yeah, she's a cutie, man. Like, it's a, yeah, she's like. And then I just saw, like, the other shit I saw on Twitter was the whole, like, twerking. The stallion thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm excited to see it, like, in context because i only see these bits and pieces on twitter um i'll watch it once once it's all 
released and I can just binge yeah. it because that's how I function. Yeah. No, I understand. It's a, uh, that's, that's, it's, it's surprisingly good. Like I, I will say that as somebody who like, uh, like I said, I, I, I'm one of those nerds who watches all the Marvel and like every, I don't know, I watch everything that comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I, I had to have an opinion about it. So I was, I was like going to hate watch it. And it's, I don't know. I, I wonder how many people will come at it from that angle. And, uh, it's it's perfectly hilarious. It's it's funny and it's yeah. Uh, if you're entertained, yeah. There's gonna be a bunch of Marvel fanboys that say some really whack shit. Yeah. But if I watch it and I have a little laugh for a little bit, yeah, it's fine by me. It's a cute show, man. I, mm. I, I I'm having a great time with it. Um, we went to go see uh, Three Thousand Years of Longing last night. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, that's one that. Courtney and I have talked about potentially seeing this weekend. It's a very, so George Miller, right? Uh, mm. Happy Feet, Mad Max Fury Road. Um, he's a, an amazing visual director. And that is one of the biggest things about this movie is it is, it's fucking gorgeous. Yeah. And um, I mean, we saw the previews. We haven't seen one, that preview for once or twice yeah, for most of in the shit recently. that we've seen together. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, like I said, it's a beautiful, it's beautiful movie and it, um, it's a weirdly like without spoiling anything, um, it's a weirdly like sweet movie. It's mm, a very like, heartfelt. Like, yeah, and it doesn't. Um, I I don't know how many people go into this movie expecting somewhat more of a like a like an exciting you know more action or or something more in in the common pop culture vein. But mm. uh, without spoiling anything, it, it doesn't. It's not as uh, as as thrilling of a movie as you know like our superhero or horror movies and stuff are um it's a rare movie where it's like you know not to be like you know people don't make movies like this anymore but it's it's just more about you know story and about you know the messages it's trying to communicate Mm -hmm. and stuff the Um, vibe that i got purely from the the trailers was if you liked everything everywhere all at once you'll like this yeah, but even less is that. Than, I mean, like yeah, I said, I haven't seen it. That's a that's an accurate. I think it has. Uh, it, it operates on similar, like you know, like the heartstrings. Uh, the this movie is all about um, the love of storytelling mm-hmm. uh, and our relationship with stories and what they what they do for us as people and as a culture. Uh, and the movie plays with that idea through uh, you know the, the couple of main characters that it has. Um, and I think in that vein, like even every everything everywhere all at once is obviously super jam packed with like action. Not to say that there's not action in this movie, but mm. it, it, this movie doesn't have That's the same. That's not the focal point. Yeah, and it also just pacing wise, it doesn't have the same sort of like meteoric, you know, ascent to a climax that mm. then the movie ends shortly afterward with. Um, it has a three act structure, but it doesn't have the same level of, of trying to maintain the energy throughout that, you know, maybe some, some other more, uh, you know, poppier movies would be beholden to, mm-hmm. um, which maybe some people will be dismayed by, but it's a, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weirdly heartfelt movie that I think like, um, I, I just, I enjoyed the heck out of, uh, and like I said, yeah, it's beautiful. And obviously, you know, Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton are fantastic. Um, Idris Elba's in, He's been working hard yeah, for a bit because he's in uh, year, the, uh, the, Beast the Beast movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which has like decent reviews. Yeah. But I saw the trailer and I was like, all right, isn't, is this just not that Liam Neeson movie with the wolves? Oh yeah. Uh, like, fuck. What is that? What, you know what yeah, I mean? That's like, yeah, 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 you're yeah. in the wilderness. There's a, a bad right, it animal. Yeah. It's the same thing, but with Idris Elba. Um, but the reviews I've seen so far aren't terrible i could see how that movie could surprise me because mm-hmm. i was like i saw the trailers for it and was like very bored like annoyed that mm-hmm. it, that movie was coming out 
but I could see how that movie could could actually be good yeah. a, in a surprising way. Um, um, we did talk about earlier Berserker. Or no, not Barbarian. Berserker, Barbarian. Coming out, it came out today. It came uh, out today. Um, we haven't seen it yet, no. but that's we got the Scars Guard. We got, got the spookies. Scars. We got a spooky basement. Between that. It's a recipe for success. Yeah. And you also have that like, it's very tied into like current events. Not events, but like you go to, to an Airbnb yeah. and somebody's living there. Yeah. And this is the situation that you're dealt. Like it, it definitely leans into like things that us millennials that can't afford nice hotels happen into. Yeah, I think the thing I like about that movie too and what I'm excited for is like Cameron texted me about that movie asking if I had watched it yet and I was mm-hmm. debating going today before you, you came over uh, to record but between that one and Smile which Yeah, are the that's two, the other one we texted about. Yeah, the two big ones in the, these couple of weeks <clears throat> that I'm really excited to see I feel like we know we know way less about this movie. It seems like mm-hmm. it could go in any direction at this point because they, yeah. they've left they've given us so little in the trailer, trailer mm-hmm. which I love uh, as opposed to Smile, where like I feel like we kind of know what happens in the, that whole movie. Yeah. Um, not that I'm still not excited to yeah, see like it. Yeah, like it's. I mean, Smile is it follows, mm-hmm. but with facial features. Yeah, exactly. Which um, I'm still. I, yeah, I'm sure I'll love it. I think it's like, gonna be. I think it's gonna be probably one of the scariest movies that comes out this year, which I'm really mm-hmm. excited for. And dude, Spooky Season's right around the corner, man. It's time, you guys. We're gonna be doing some cool shit. I promise. Hell yeah. Eric's gonna have some fun next month. Uh, Tyler's birthday next month too. It's my thirtieth birthday. Oh yeah! But I'm getting married Halloween weekend. Yeah. So thirtieth birthday weekend will be pre-Halloween. Oh yeah. So we're gonna do spooky shit on October first yeah. instead. Yeah, we're gonna be doing spooky shit every single yeah, day. Yeah, no, man. I mean it doesn't stop around yeah. here. Hey, there's a we're gonna be doing thirty-one for thirty-one, and uh, that list will be coming out. Uh, the thirty-one days of Halloween watch list. Currently working on it, and I got a little mm-hmm. time, so that'd be great. Uh, hey guys, there's a uh, Patreon for this podcast. It is patreon.com slash scary Sunday scaries. Uh, there's an Instagram as well. It's at scary Sunday scaries. Mm-hmm. Um, go on there. Go on to the Patreon. And uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you get episodes like this as soon as I get done editing them with no ads. Um, you get access to social posts. Uh, you get early access to um, any digital artwork, artwork and stuff that we're going to be putting out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and some secret episodes, too. Some, some little episodes. sidebar some episodes. Some little bonus ones. Uh, if you want to go on the Instagram, at uh, Scary Sunday Scaries, and uh, comment on our posts, interact with us on social media. Um, mm-hmm. You can email us, uh, gmail.com, or sorry, Scary Sunday Scaries at gmail.com. Uh, if you have recommendations for episodes or uh, comments about the things we've talked about, uh, send me those, and I will read your letters and cry. Um, <laughs> if you want to follow me please, personally. Please be nice. Please be nice. <laughs> if you want to follow me uh, personally, I'm at Trap the Guy. And I'm at Tymans, T-Y-M-A-N-T-Z. Hell yeah. Uh, so um, this week we talked about Mike Flanagan's Hush, uh, mm-hmm. Power Couple collaboration. Fun, fucking fantastic movie. Doing great things. Uh, do you know what's up next on the watch list? No. All right. I like to be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And by surprised, I mean I didn't have time to look at it. So we're going to be watching uh, Poltergeist. Hell oh, yeah. yeah. So you might be wondering, in the slasher series, why are we watching Poltergeist, guys? That's not a slasher movie. Well, there's a really important reason why, and we'll talk about it in the episode. Uh, so so I guess you have to listen, you idiots. Listen. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck you guys. Yeah. Uh, so hang out with us next week and listen to that episode. It's going to be fucking great. Uh, and have a good week, guys. It's yeah. not going to be that bad, I promise. Don't let those scaries get to you too yeah, much. it's going to be a week. Don't even worry about it. I say that, but the scaries, they're getting to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's gonna Friday, and I'm... <laughs> 
gonna be okay, Tyler. Let's go. Let's go put another okay. one of these beers real quick. Yeah. Okay. Sunday Scaries.